Amen. My side won, out of the way. You were louder. <laughs> Nothing like creating division in the church, Brother Bob. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're going to leave our, our church life and announcements until the end. Uh, so we're going to get right into God's Word. So our children are invited, unless they already left when I wasn't watching, they're in, invited to go Yep, uh, to, uh, to join kids' worship. Um, it's awesome that they have that opportunity to do that. And so uh, we love to just see more and more children each week. And what a blessing. So uh, we're very thankful, too, for all those that are willing to give up their time and to help to be part of that schedule. We always could, always could use more help from that. So uh, if you feel God putting that on your heart and how you want to get involved, uh, you can uh, write that on the connection cards in the front of you. Uh, but I'll mention more about that later. So... Um, <clears throat> We are starting a, um, just a brief three-week series called Living Generously. And I kind of just want to lay out what we're going to do <clears throat> Excuse me, over the next few weeks, just so you have an idea. So for the next three weeks, we're going to do this, go through this uh, three-part series together called Living Generously. Um, and, then, uh, and then after that, on October 9th, we're going to have uh, our missionaries here, David and, De- uh, David and Beth Brewer, will be here uh, for a special Sunday, and that's actually our fellowship lunch. So that'll be an international lunch, uh, luncheon, and David is going to share from his heart about uh, his many years in ministry with Beth and Life and Messiah Ministries, and uh, it really coincides well because there are many um, uh, high Jewish holidays in October, more than any other month, so he's going to tie that in to what our Jewish friends right down the road in Lakewood are experiencing and celebrating and why and what that looks like from the life of a Christian. Uh, so it's going to be a tremendous Sunday, and then after that we get to, uh, to eat and drink together as well. Um, and then the following week, on October uh, 16th, that we're going to start into the book of Acts. That's going to be the next book that we're going to do. Because if most of you know, if, not, if you've only been visiting for a while, that we took a break for the summer of uh, going through books of the Bible, and we did some series and sort of one-off um, messages, which is all good, but what we like to do here most is to go through books of the Bible and uh, to just sort of um, uh, just go through it one, one verse, one section, one chapter at a time. And so as you can imagine, if you've read through Acts, it's a long book uh, and it'll take us some time to go through it, but it's really unique, especially kind of uh, considering the books that we've been going through, Ephesians and uh, Galatians and James that this is really a great book of the history of the early church. An amazing amount of stories, of characters that we're going to get to meet in Scripture that we kind of you know, only see uh, a little bit, or maybe just in this book. But a great foundational book for us as believers and as the church to be reminded of how this all got started and how Jesus is continuing to build His church as He says. So it's going to be a great, very unique study uh, looking at uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to start that in a few weeks. All right, But for this morning, we're going to look at part one of this brief three-part series over the next three weeks called Living Generously. And our passage for this morning is going to be in 1 Timothy 6. It'll be up on the screen for you, and you can turn to it as well. It's 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. So if you would turn there... Um, I just want to give you a little bit of background. It's going to be up there. There it is. All three verses right on the one screen. 
And it's in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. And uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to sort of break this down into four brief sections uh, just to look at exactly what Paul is telling uh, Timothy in this book and basically what is being, um, uh, you know, being emphasized here by the apostle and about, uh, you know, what is important uh, to, the, to the life of the church. And this is really a great way for us over the next few weeks to lead into the book of Acts, um, just talking about the, the life of the church. And then when David shares on October 9th about the Jewish holidays coming up and he's going to be able to tie in right to uh, the day of Pentecost, which is kind of how we start the book of Acts. So this is all kind of leading up to our study in, uh, in the book of Acts. And so here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. As we open it up and dig deeper together, God, would you open our mind and open our heart to receive the power of your word this morning. God, let it transform us and change us from the inside out as we do not want to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, would you help us to do that in the next few minutes here together? as we read and investigate and discover Your Word together. God, even familiar words that we've probably read before, speak to us through them in a new and a fresh way this morning. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Challenge us. Encourage us, Father God. Have Your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. God's Word is powerful. And uh, here is a little passage that uh, that we read as a charge to Timothy towards the end of Paul's ministry. This is really written, it's one of the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and it's really a charge to Timothy, one of Paul's like closest confidants and leaders in the church, a pastor, and he says, hey, Pastor Timothy, here's what you need to know. And it's sort of towards the end of of Paul's ministry, and so he's taking the opportunity to write these very practical words to Timothy to say this is what um, you really need to be focusing on in the life of the church. So of course, it's going to have importance and application for us today. And so, um, and so we know that Paul had already been warning of the... Uh, of the love of money and what that looks like in people's lives and in the church. But here he has some really passionate instructions in just these three verses about what to do with the wealth and the money that you have. And I want to set this foundation clear first, so it's really important that you have the right filter to hear this. But when he says in verse 17, as for the rich 
in this present age, he is talking about every one of us. Now, when we read that, we might think, okay, well, this word really isn't for me. He's talking about wealthy Christians who have a lot of money and how they should give a lot and support ministries. No. When he says, as for the rich in this present age, of course, the age he was writing in, I can guarantee you we fall into that category in this present age. We are rich beyond belief. Now, in this room, of course, there's some of us that have a lot of money and some of us that um, have very little. But you know what? In God's eyes, we are extremely rich and wealthy. And if we are, and you probably hear this a lot, to compare ourselves to people in other places in the world, you might be living paycheck to paycheck and be struggling to pay your bills or to put food on the table, but you are still wealthy beyond belief compared to so many millions of people in this world. So I truly believe that when we read this as for the rich, that's for us. Because we are wealthy. And we are blessed and so rich in the Lord. And I think we know it. So we need to take special heed to these words that he has for us here in 1 Timothy 6. So I just wanted to make sure we understood that. So that as we kind of listen and process, we're just kind of thinking through our own position Not only just our finances, because when I say we're doing a three-part series on living generously, it goes way beyond money. That, of course, is a big part of how we know that we are blessed by God. And when we say resources, we think of that often, probably first. But when we are called in Scripture to be generous, as we're going to see here, and be sharing and giving people, man, that goes way beyond just our money. Now, some of us, That is a specific way that God is calling us and saying, you know what? I have blessed you with tremendous amounts of resources, more than many people. So you know what? You're supposed to give more. And we're going to look at some passages as well. But all in all, God is calling each and every one of us to be extremely generous in our walk with Him. And we talked last week, right, about being ambassadors for Christ. Here is one way that we are representing Christ to the world is How giving are we? How generous are we? Among the people of God and then, of course, outside of these four walls. So let's look at these these brief three verses together and just see exactly what he's talking about. So, very first, he says, um, As for the rich in this present age, charge them, okay, that's a strong word, charge them not to be haughty. Now, when's the last time you used that word haughty? Not naughty, haughty. It means what? Arrogant. It means arrogant. Prideful. So he says, charge them not to be prideful or arrogant. Okay? So what would be the opposite of that? He's saying, Timothy, tell your church not to be arrogant or prideful because of all the money they have, because they're wealthy. What he's telling us is to be humble. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That we are called to be humble. So what does that look like? Deuteronomy 8 Verse 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Right? So first and foremost, we have to remember, where did we get all this stuff that we have? Even our very breath, where does it come from? It comes from God. Our Maker is the one who allows us to have whatever it is we have. 
very little or very much, still recognizing that we are wealthy. But he says in his word, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Not only what you gain, but he gives you the opportunity, the power, the means. Whether it's a job or however else, the means he provides as well. See, an important aspect here, which you're going to hear a lot of over the next three weeks, is this idea of being a steward. Okay? Many churches talk about stewardship, and of course the word is scriptural, steward. Do you know what a steward is? A steward is a, it's a manager. Right. A steward is somebody who takes care of somebody else's property. It's like a manager, right? So a manager would be somebody, in the Word of God it would say steward, but we can say manager. It's somebody who takes care of other people's money. What it means is that you're taking care of something that you do not own yourself. You know, for many years I worked at Merrill Lynch, and I have shared about that before, and it was really amazing to me when I would work, the years I worked in the back office to support the branch offices where all the brokers are, you know, the ones who are bringing in all the money for the firm. Man, they would do tremendous jobs in managing other people's money. But what's funny is when they would call in to balance their own account, their own accounts were a mess. They had no idea how to take care of their own money, but they were really good at taking care of other people's money. But when you're a manager, let's think of like a financial manager or something, or you're a manager at work, you're taking care of the company's resources, your boss's resources. So the important principle here to remember is that we are no longer our own, right? What does the scripture say? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. But doesn't that principle apply to everything? I mean, in that context, he's talking about sexual immorality. But does that apply to everything? Let us remember that what we just gave before in the offering, or when you come here to, to serve and to give of your, you know, your time or your talents and your gifts, we have to remember that they're not ours to begin with, right? They're sort of on loan to us, right? We think about that often with our kids, and I think it's right too that God has blessed us, you know, with our kids and our family, and we want to cherish them and hold on to them, but remembering they belong to God. God has given them to us for a time to care for, right? They're sort of on loan to us, you know? And so as stewards, we are called to be good managers of God's property, of what God has given us, even down to our very body, like it says. It says, you know, you're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price, so take care of your body. The Holy Spirit lives in you. It's all owned by God anyway. So when we give, we have to get out of that mindset that, oh God, I'm giving you a portion of what I have. It's more of like, I'm giving you a portion of what you have lent me. I'm giving you a portion of what you have blessed me with. It's all from you anyway. So an important, important principle to remember when we talk about generosity or giving or being caring and sharing people, that all that we have and all that we are comes from God. We are supposed to glorify God with our possessions 
And we are supposed to do that by looking to the eternal and not just the temporal or the temporary. Oftentimes we can get too short-sighted, right? But when we remember the bigger picture and the perspective of who God has created us to be and all that we have is His, we often need to take a step back and get that perspective. And it will help even in our ability to be generous and to give in whatever capacity that is. You know, many of us wear glasses, and I started wearing glasses when I was in, um, in uh, elementary school. Actually, it was right going into junior high. And I was playing baseball, and I just couldn't hit the ball at all. And I knew it wasn't my fault because I was pretty good. <laughs> but I needed glasses. I was like, yes. So I went to the doctor and he confirmed it. Yeah, you're short sight, like you're near sight, which means I can see close up. Those things that are there so close to me, I have no problem seeing them. But in the distance, it's harder. And you know what? Once I got the glasses on, I still couldn't hit the ball. <laughs> but I still needed them anyway. But see, I had a problem seeing in the distance, seeing sort of the bigger picture. I could only kind of focus on what was close to me. Don't we kind of get that way sometimes? We get the blinders on and it can really lead us into some, into some deep, dark places sometimes because we forget about God's goodness. We forget about passages like Habakkuk that says, even if. We forget about people like Job who was so blessed and it was all taken away. Right, But then we're going to see as we unfold this passage and others over the next three weeks how God wants to bless us so much if we just surrender it all to Him because it's already His to begin with. Right? Matthew 6, 19-21, a familiar passage says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think we all have heard that before. Probably read it and studied it. But what does that really look like in the context of giving? About our treasure, about being generous, right? So we need to think about that. Take a moment to just kind of reflect on that. And as we keep going through this passage, just reflect on that like, how generous are you? And I don't just mean like what you just gave a few minutes ago on the offering plate. So much more than that. How generous are you with your time? How generous are you to the church with the gifts that the Spirit has given you? We went through the, the, um, the study of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and What does that look like? Do you know that when you become a Christian, that the Holy Spirit then indwells in you forever and forever, and He blesses you with spiritual gifts? And those gifts are not for your own good. They are for the good of the church. So if you are not using your gifts to serve here at Trinity, or to give to Trinity, or to give to other ministries as well, if you are not giving and sharing your gifts... And those treasures, those things that God has given you, then you are not being generous. Then you are not recognizing who it is that has given it to you in the first place. That He has blessed you with it. I know that this can be so difficult because we all, especially in our sinful nature and, and our society kind of 
leads us to this, you know, that we just kind of get this in this mindset of just kind of hoarding it and keeping it. Did you ever see those shows on hoarding? Man, that's, sometimes it can be really disturbing, right? But maybe sometimes we can reflect on that and be like, I know I'm not like that, but maybe there's some things that I need to, to give up. And not just to do away with, but just really the bigger picture to remember who it is that has blessed us. Because the Lord tells us where our treasure is, there our heart would be also. So when we talk about learning and growing and serving, what we are doing in our service and being generous, it is a product of what we know to be true and how it is changing us. Do you see that? So perhaps if we're not being generous enough, it means we have not allowed God and the Holy Spirit to transform us. It's about surrender and yielding to Him. Let's look at the next thing. In the second part of that verse, he says, um, "Don't not only charge them not to be um, arrogant, he says also not to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God. Right? We'll stop there. So the second thing is not only are we supposed to be humble, recognizing who is the source of all of our wealth, but we are supposed to trust God and not trust the wealth. We're supposed to put our faith and trust in the giver and not the gift. See that? Oftentimes we get too focused on what it is that we have or have been given and we forget about the source of our wealth. Luke 12, 13 to 21, a great parable that the Lord Jesus tells of the rich fool. Read along with me. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over you? He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So he told them this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, "Hmm, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. The guy had a problem. He had too much. Too much of a good thing. What should I do? I have nowhere to put it all. And he said, okay, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my bars. I'll build larger ones. Then there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. Pretty sobering parable that he tells, right? So sometimes we might act like that rich fool. God calls him a fool. Because he thinks that he can accumulate more and more. And instead of recognizing the blessing and the one who has given the gifts, and then giving, 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 and being abundant in his generosity... He decides to build bigger storehouses to store all of his stuff, right? You know, Claudia and I, we've moved many times in our 25 years of marriage. And I have to say it's amazing that each time we would move, we would rent a dumpster and we could fill that dumpster. And it would just boggle my mind like maybe we only moved three or four years you know, before that. And I'm like, we can now fill another dumpster? What? Where did all this stuff come from? When we moved from Bradley Beach in a small beach house to where we are now, it was great because in Bradley Beach we didn't have a garage, we didn't have a basement, very little storage. 
So we move where we are now. It's great. It's, it's, it's a house, and so we have a garage, and we have a full basement. Lots of place to store stuff. So we moved in. It looked great because there's a lot of room in the garage, right? And there's a lot of room in the basement. And my fear is we're going to fill it up, right? Because isn't that sort of what happens? You sort of fill the space that you live in. But God is really calling us to make sure that we don't seek after building bigger storehouses so we can get more stuff and keep it to ourselves. That as God blesses us, we are to give. If He gives us a little bit, we give out of that. We're going to see some more verses about that as well. So what is He teaching us? Wealth deteriorates, whether it's material wealth, whatever. The value of the wealth of investments fluctuates. You know, if you watch the morning business news and you see the stock market going up and down, I can guarantee you it will always go up and it will always go down. Sometimes it will go down far, sometimes it will it will really rise, but it will always fluctuate. The value of the dollar, everything. But we are to put our trust in the giver, not in of the gifts. So he says, he charges him, tell your congregation, Timothy, right? Don't don't be arrogant, be humble remembering where it comes from, and don't put all of your hope in the uncertainty of those riches, but put it in God. Because in God we can be certain. Is that right? Amen. And then he says, in the last part of that, he says, it is God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. How about that? Do you know that that word is there in the Bible, to enjoy? We're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to enjoy it. Ecclesiastes 5.19, there's a lot in Ecclesiastes about enjoying your life. It says in 5.19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions, remember that's us, we're wealthy, and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept His lot and rejoice in His toil, this is the gift of God. So it is good and right that we enjoy what God has blessed us with. We're supposed to have fun. Have fun and enjoy it. But how much more will we truly be able to enjoy it if we are being generous with it? Right? Because we know then that we are following after God's calling for our life to be generous and recognizing who it is that has blessed us with this tremendous wealth. So we're supposed to enjoy it and appreciate it, Paul says, and be thankful for all that God has given us. And then this leads us into verses 18 and 19. And it says, instead of being arrogant and putting our hope in the riches, he says, enjoy it. He says, we're supposed to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, when we do that, we're storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future. Remember I said, looking forward to the eternal and not the temporal, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't that awesome? I like when he says that, to take hold of that which is truly life. We'll get to that in a second. Here is another parable of the Lord Jesus in Luke 16, the parable of the dishonest manager. Remember, a steward is a manager. He said to his disciples, uh, to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So there was a rich man, and he had a manager to take care of his wealth, right? Maybe like a financial manager. 
And there were charges brought up against him. That never happens, right? People don't embezzle or... No, we know that, right? So, and he called to him and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. So he's calling him on the carpet for what he had heard. And the manager said to himself, Well, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So he's already thinking about his next step, right? His next career move. Man, I'm going to be fired in a minute. And the, and the boss is going to hear about what I did. What could I do next? Like, I'm too weak. I, I don't work with my hands. I'm a bookkeeper. I can't dig. And he says, I'm too ashamed, too prideful to beg. I have decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, so like when I'm fired, people may receive me into, the, in my house, into their houses. So he's already thinking like, how will people be able to receive me and give me stuff and maybe give me another job? So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. So the manager said to him, take your bill, sit down and write 50. So he went from a hundred to 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So you see what he's doing there? The, the manager is going around to all the debtors, the ones that he worked with, and he said, how much do you owe to the, to the owner, right, to the master? And they were like, a hundred. He's like, all right, just put down that it's 50. And the other one is like, oh, you owe a hundred? Just put down 80, right? Like, why, why is he doing this? Why is Jesus telling this story? So he says here, he says, um, the master, in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. See that? The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus now sort of explaining it. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. You're like, what, Jesus? Let's keep reading. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here's what Jesus is trying to teach. He's actually teaching a good lesson from a bad example. So he's not commending uh, him. He's not commend, commanding his disciples to do exactly what the shrewd manager did. But here is what he's saying. He's saying he was actually careful to plan ahead. Isn't that interesting that Jesus would choose to tell this story to tell the disciples, okay. I'm going to leave you one day. The kingdom is coming, right? He's kind of preparing them for his exit. He's preparing them for the future. And he says, you know what? Be prepared. Plan ahead. You can use material things, right, to ensure a secure future. So we can be planners. And we can plan for retirement. It's all good. But all along the way, we're supposed to be generous. See, his disciples aren't supposed to be dishonest. 
he was teaching that they should use material things for future spiritual benefits. So he was like teaching this good lesson out of a bad example, right? So here he is saying, you know what? Okay, you want to use your wealth in any way that you can for the glory of God. So maybe you'll get new friends. I bet if you won out and and played uh, the lotto or played the Powerball and you won like $300 million, I bet you'd gain a few friends, wouldn't you? Right? Somehow everybody's got your phone number and whatever, you know. I remember my dad would always tell me, you know, hey, you'd have to, you got to get a lawyer and you got to change your phone number. You know, it's like, you know, if you go online, you read, they've had shows about this too, the amazing stories of, of um, people's lives, how they've changed after they've won the lottery, right? It's amazing what money can do to you. Like I said last time, Claudia and I decided long ago we were not going to be rich. And we were staying true to that conviction. We really are. <laughs> you know, being convicted. So anyway, but it's all really for the glory of God so that we can lead other people to Christ. Okay, So we can lead other people into the kingdom. We're always supposed to be kingdom-minded and invest for the future. That's really the bigger picture of what Jesus is teaching there in that parable. So be prepared for the future. So save. Save and invest. But as God blesses you, bless others. Be generous. Right? Be generous. And finally, uh, I'll just end with this. So He says, take hold of that which is truly life. I like the way he ends that. Because you know what? The true life, the life that Christ wants you to live, is one that you get only from being generous in all things. That is the true life. Did you ever see that movie, The Matrix? It came out a long time ago. A lot of spiritual applications in that movie. But it's really interesting because the machines basically had created this false reality. Because they really didn't think that men, that humans were ready, right, to be a part of the real reality anymore because they had messed it up and destroyed the world, so they created a fake one. But we do that as well, and money can be a part of that, that we build sort of a false sense of security. But not going back to what he says is, Timothy, charge your church. Tell them, don't put your faith and trust in their material possessions. Put it in the one God who never changes. So the true life, our real true reality, is that we should be spiritually minded, kingdom minded people, and that we should be living our life for Christ. That is our true reality. Mark 8.35 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Did you know that God instituted the Sabbath? We're... So we're remembering the Sabbath now. He set one day aside. You remember that in his creation? A big part of him doing that was so that we would remember where all of our possessions come from. All that we have and all that we are comes from him. It's a day of rest. He also plans out in, uh, in um, in his law for the people of Israel that they would not only keep the seventh day, the Sabbath day rest, but every seven years there would be a year of rest really interesting and he would say for that whole year you can't work the fields and if you had uh debts if you were holding debts for somebody you have to release them of those debts it would be a seventh year right a year of jubilee and and you know what's amazing is that he says you can't even work the land for that year so that animals can go and feed on whatever grows naturally in those fields and 
So the poorer people, the people that have less, that don't own their own land, that don't have enough food to eat for that whole year, they will be cared for. Whatever grows naturally on that land that you own, you're supposed to give it up and let other people come in and take of the abundance. It was a way that God was reminding them that all that they had belonged to God. Because how often can we get into that routine year after year, and you're gaining and you're gaining and you're, and you're building your wealth, and then we can slowly forget who has truly blessed me. God built that right into His law. And we still remember that today when we keep the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. Not that we're only supposed to just follow God on one day, but it's a reminder. Even we give, we pass the plates around and we give a little bit of our money, we give back to God, right? To bless His church so that we can proclaim His gospel in many ways, we do it on the Sabbath as a reminder that God, everything you gave me is yours, so here, giving back to you a portion. You called us to give. God, help me because next week I want to give more. I want to live generously. The Lord is generous with us, so we need to reflect His character and be ambassadors for Him in all things. We are to be generous not just in our money and material wealth, but we are to be generous in our forgiveness of others because God forgave us. We are to be generous in being gracious to others because how gracious was God to us. We are to be so generous in our love for one another for God so loved us and the world that He gave His only Son. We are to be generous to others in mercy because God withholds the punishment for us that we deserved in His great mercy. We are to be merciful towards others. All that we have and all that we are, it comes from Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the blessing of Your Word. God, would You help us to be generous in every way, very simply, because You are so generous towards us. Your kindness, Your goodness, Your mercy, Your compassion, Your grace and Your love, Your forgiveness. Oh God, that we would remember that each and every day as we take an account of stewards and of managers of what You've given us. Lord, that we would remember that we don't own it, that it is Yours, that You have lent it to us for a season and for a time, and that You simply call us to give abundantly and to live generously in every area, that we would be willing to give of ourselves in reflection of You giving of Yourself in the greatest way known to man, through giving us Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, convict us, challenge us, encourage us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.